Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm joined once again by Adam Lawrence. Uh, Adam is one of the co-founders of Partners in Property, which is a property networking group throughout the UK. You can look them up probably easiest on their Facebook page, which is Partners in Property Community Group. Uh, all the details about how to attend one of the local community meetings, uh, which, which typically run during the week, during the day, uh, and that they're filled with people who are like-minded in real estate uh, and, and in general, a far more, more serious, uh, but at the same time, friendly environment than the average property networking group. Uh, Adam, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks for that, Will, and thanks for having me again. So Adam, is, uh, as well as uh, being involved in the property network, uh, is a prolific property investor. Uh, he's got two, uh, what I would loosely describe as financial uh, degrees, and is one of my favorite economics commentators. So uh, just just to, to get going, what, what are we going to be talking about today, Adam? Well, we're looking at some of the economic perceptions that are out there at the moment, and then we're looking, really looking to reality, Will, and trying to forecast our way through some of this fog that we're in at the moment and what one of the things that i really like about adam's uh way of thinking and, and writing and um he's a uh, uh writes a, a regular column which you can check out on the partners and property facebook page uh on sunday it's called the sunday supplement uh, it, is that he not only talks big picture economics but he brings it back to what does it actually mean for us as property investors so let, let, let's get going with today's show. Thanks, Will. So I'd like to start with a quote. Um, economics is everywhere, and understanding economics can help you make better decisions and lead a happier life. That's from Tyler Cohen. So welcome to today's supplement. Today's efforts concentrate on some of the reality of the economics of the current times. And as Will said, what it means for us as property investors or those who are exposed to the UK property market. At the coalface of today's society, things look more divided than ever, even though a sensible look at history would quickly show us that that statement is ridiculous. The key part of that sentence is looks. A small number of people on one side of a particular spectrum make a lot of noise, and that's interpreted as popular opinion, when it is anything but. The silent majority have never been so important, but on the other hand, they've never been so silent either. 
Brexit or Remain, Republican or Democrat, Conservative or Labour. It just isn't that simple in reality. Now we have to revisit once again the inflation situation. The supplements of early last year spent an awful lot of time covering the arguments around inflation and the guaranteed presence of it, with the real argument being whether it would be transitory or secular. So would it last a short time or a long time? Again, that's framed as a binary argument, which is incorrect. There isn't a day after three years, four months of inflation, for example, that transitory becomes secular. It will be judged one day in the rear view mirror, of course. We need to deal with what's actually happening now. And what's happening is inflation already spiraling out of control and hitting the consumer in the pocket with a further black swan event of a hot war in Europe, which risks overheat, overspilling or heating up yet further. A further benchmark has been passed this week in the US anyway. The official figure has nearly reached 8% inflation, but that's not really the point that I want to make. The expectations were that this number would be at least 8%, if not higher. So the expectations were missed on the downside. This is the first time this has happened since the inflation breakout happened. The direction of travel is still in the wrong direction, still going upwards, not downwards but not as fast as expectations and thoughts. Now this could be an anomaly. So waiting for next month's number is a good idea. I don't wanna to get too carried away too quickly, but it could be good news for the high point. The war is impacting the US with oil prices being at a record uh, and the price at the pumps is a more important factor in the US compared to the UK because of the nature of their geography and their infrastructure, although remote working will help to some extent, although it only applies to around 40% of jobs in the US economy. And, and what, what does that mean in uh, the UK uh, terms? Well, you know, just the, you know, the, the number of internal flights, the number of everything else are, are obviously different in the UK. We don't tend to fly an awful lot and we don't hit the road as much our roads are very busy we don't achieve as much on our roads as uh, the americans do the average speed is a lot lower apart from anything else but we are uh, four days five days away from the next bank of england monetary policy committee meeting um and we'll see where their expectations are now on inflation following the war um following because that's happened in between the the last meeting of the committee we tend to follow the US trend and we tend to be, in inflation terms, we're sort of a couple of months behind, two or three months behind them. So, so we um, lag them uh, on inflation? We do. We are at the moment, uh, just because of the way that the, the fiscal stimulus was deployed and because of the way that they're unwinding their monetary policy decisions and, and what we've done. So we, we put rates up already. They are about to put rates up Um We've got much more um, quantitative easing in the system in percentage terms than they have. Um, but yeah, we're lagging them with their, their economy because of the freedoms of their labor market, apart from anything else, they tend to move much, they shed jobs so quickly in the pandemic, they put jobs on so quickly when there's a recovery. Um, it's much more 
uh, unstable really than the UK. The UK labour market is a safe market compared to the US labour market. You know. So, so we're, we're uh, are the last official uh, figures, and so if they're at, uh, just just sub eight percent, where's the yeah. UK? We're at five point four. And um, our number for February will be released within the next 10 days or so. Right. So two and a half-ish percent behind, two, running at about two thirds of their rate. But it's worth saying, um, ultimately, we're on course to stay behind the US number, I think. Um, but historically, we've run hotter than the US over the sort of post-World War II period. So uh, you would expect from a traditional economic theory standpoint, they've had higher productivity gains than we have. Um, and the resultant impact on GDP of those gains has been, they've outgrown us significantly in percentage terms since World War II. Um, there is a longer term trend there that's unique to the US and the UK, because until around 1930, the, U, the, U, the sterling was the global reserve currency. It then moved over, rotated into the dollar. So over the long term, doesn't mean everybody sells their sterling immediately and, and buys the dollar, but there's a, a longer term rotation. You know, some organizations are holding 30, 40, 50 year bonds. Uh, so that, that gets rotated outwards. And it doesn't mean that sterling lost all of its attractiveness, of course, either, because the stability of the regime has always been very attractive for foreign investors. Um, but it's a long term shadow. So as people want more of your currency, there's a deflationary impact. Your currency gets stronger. Your imports get cheaper. Uh, of course, you do need to be a net importer of goods for this to be the case. Um, but this is why big manufacturing engines like Japan and China over the years have tried to suppress the value of their currency because it's made their goods cheaper and it, it pays for the freight costs and everything around the world um, to get their goods out to where they want them to be. So the immediate point versus that little long-term segue is that the oil price has moved to a place around 40% above 2022 expectations just this week. It was a very brief dalliance at nearly $140 a barrel of Brent crude on Monday morning, which came back to just under $113 at the close of trading on Friday. You know, the backdrop of this is the headline around highest prices on record of fuel, not of oil itself, but of fuel. Nominally true, but never put into real terms context by taking inflation into account. In real terms, prices would have been higher. Once they're adjusted for inflation, then the 2008 peaks, for example, would need to see Brent above $220 a barrel to be equivalently expensive in real terms. Sadly, this isn't completely out of the question at the moment. Some scenarios would see Brent above $250 a barrel, but they would be quite extreme. Russia refuses to export any oil, starts threatening other members of OPEC, uh, permanent infrastructure damage in Russia and or the Ukraine, and even nuclear war. But of course, if we get there, we've got bigger problems than $250 a barrel for Brent crude. So we're already at a place with the inflation numbers that such that a smaller shock, when we're already at 
5.4% officially, but in real terms, over 5.5% already. It's much more damaging than a larger shock, for example, a surprise referendum result, when the number is low or at, at or below the long-term government target of 2%. If we go back to May 2016, inflation was at 0.7%, and post-referendum relatively quickly climbed to around 4%. That's not all down to the referendum result, but a really significant amount of it was, and most of that was because of overnight currency devaluation, as in the world markets, the pound got weaker. Inflation expectations are completely underreported. The market is, as I've written this, not seeing inflation under 3% in the next 40 years. Now, that's the, the average inflation per year for the next 40 years. And that's measured, that's not the Bank of England, that's not the government, that's the bond market saying that's the message. That's the difference between the nominal, the nominal bond price and then bonds that are, are linked to inflation, index-linked gilts, as we call them in the UK. So real yields, so yields after inflation is taken into account on bonds, are between minus 3% and minus 1.5% for the same time period, for 40 years. I just find that mind-blowing. Um, and, of course, we have a tendency to look at the next day or the next few months and we talked last week about how you shorten your time horizons in events of, of crisis but you, you still need to zoom out and take that big picture view so what, what's happening long term essentially absolutely and then we need to distill that back to what does this inflation really mean for us as property investors in our own individual economic ecosystems so Traditionally, if we if we get to the textbook and we, we pull the page open, it tells us consumers will bring purchases forwards. So the basic logic being things are getting more expensive. I better buy that kitchen today before it goes up another 10%. Um, that's on the basis, the, the, the concept in economics called Keteris Paribus, all else remains equal. Now that that's a concept that belongs in a textbook because it just doesn't happen in real life, obviously. Otherwise, it would be very easy to predict things. It's um, a great sounding line, though. <laughs> well, you know, when you use Latin, you're deliberately sounding intelligent. There's no two ways about it. So, But high inflation also erodes confidence in the monetary system, which is a much more systemic risk. However, on the back of the shadow of the pandemic, Households have got more savings and they're wired at this time to be more defensive. Consumer confidence was at its lowest in February 2022 for 13 months, with consumers in the benchmark survey looking particularly bearish about the next 12 months economic performance. Now that leads to people saving, not spending, and consumption is such a big driver of gross domestic products, of the, the one measure that is the arbitrary uh, measure of how the economy is doing. So th this is significant, you know. So the first port of call, which would be this increased spending on the basis of bringing purchases forward, doesn't look like it's playing out anytime soon. There are two considerations here, of course. People spending more money just because prices are going up and they need the same things, 
So they just it just costs them more money to buy them. So that nominal drag effect upwards. But also people spending money on optional high ticket or luxury purchases. Um, normally you'd be thinking, well, it's the time to buy because things are going up. But that's just not firing at the moment necessarily. So there are two things we need to look at as investors. Firstly, how is our asset class performing in real terms? Can we beat inflation? And so can we earn a crust from the risks that we take? This question at the moment is relatively difficult to answer. If we look at the purchasing power of money and we take significant leverage on an interest only basis, we are happy with a healthy rate of inflation. Indeed, I would suggest that three to 4% suits us down to the ground, just as it does the government after the significant debt mounting built up over the past few years under the pressures and dare I say the opportunity provided by the pandemic. On the basis that wages move upwards and credit stays available or even get, gets even more available in a sustainable fashion, that debt inflates away and our asset price and worth increases. This would be functioning high inflation, for want of a better phrase. And there's a reason why the target is set at 2%. Again, it's a lovely thing to wish for, but it's quite unlikely in practice. However, with rates remaining low, we do have a chance to benefit as we can borrow and in real terms get paid for that privilege. Those negative bond yields we were talking about, if we borrow that money, we can be the beneficiary of those negative uh, it would be handy if you could just repeat that point again, uh, Adam, for anyone that didn't hear it explicitly, because I, I, I think this is one of the most important things. Uh, and if you, you don't understand it, you're unlikely to take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it is something you build a whole business on the back of without a shadow of a doubt, with limited risk, in my view, Will. So... We have gone from the very bottom of the interest rate, the 300 and something year lows. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they won't go lower. If there was a, again, if this, this war spilled over, all bets are off, we could be seeing negative rates very easily. I, I think we would see negative rates in the UK, but we have had this opportunity to borrow money at the lowest rates we've ever been able to get it at. But as inflation increases, <clears throat> We're not just talking about the nominal price, so the 3% five-year fixed mortgages that have been available. They might be up to three and a quarter today because expectations have increased. But if they're 3% when inflation is two, they're still costing you money in real terms. If they're 3% if they're when inflation is seven, then ultimately there's a 4% discount on that money in real terms. Now you still have to invest that money at a rate above the cost of the debt, but you don't necessarily have to be beating inflation to still make it very worthwhile. And then because property generally is a long-term hold of an asset, those effects compound over time. And you know, the, the Albert Einstein eighth wonder of the world compound interest should not be underestimated as a concept. So in real terms, that money is worth, you know, borrow 100K today, that's only worth 93K in 12 months' time, let's say, um, in real terms. For us uh, and and you've, you've had to pay, say, three or 4K in interest yeah. against that. Yeah. Exactly. So you're, you're net better off as long as 
you've invested it wisely rather than spent it on whatever. Um, so that leads us on to the second point that we need to consider as investors. What else can we do with the money? We can always liquidate our investments and consume it, of course, the holiday of a lifetime, the dream car, etc. This is the gratification that so many property investors tend to delay. But once it is gone, it is gone, naturally. Keeping our investor hat on, we look for other opportunities. Where can we earn better returns? Indeed, as was in the 1970s, we risk a situation at the moment where the game becomes who can lose the least money in real terms. There are always winners, of course, in every market. The savers have no chance of being in that camp at this time. The borrowers are the likely winners. They still must invest wisely and buy assets that will perform. So the energy market is obviously topical and has a significant correlation to inflation, although it is not the only driver of inflation, of course. The prices I've already referred to and the effect of the current geopolitical events taking place have multiple implications. Heating your homes, winter is over. And for the first time, the weather forecast sees every day next week above 10 degrees Celsius in the UK at its peak. And so that's on the back burner until October when the next fuel rise bites. We will need to get used to paying a lot more for our electricity. Disastrous for some households, those on fixed incomes specifically. Anyone heavily reliant on the benefit system, 17% of households who rely on the local housing allowance element of housing benefit or universal credit, but also those drawing their state pension, which I can't say too many times, is a significant issue for the incumbent government because the pensioners represent the strongest lobby in the country when it comes to voting without ever taking to the streets to protest. It isn't just heating and electricity, of course. Anything that goes from A to B needs transportation and transportation costs have already ballooned in the past couple of years. The input price of the commodity is only one factor. If significant increases to the cost of living means staff demand higher wages in an already very tight labour market, and we need to take a look at whether vacancies are up or down, you know, just a reminder for everyone, the last ONS figures on this, which are nearly a month ago now, so we're due an update, was 1.143 million job vacancies, record high in the UK, all-time record high. So... What's the direction of travel? That's only been one-way traffic since June 2020, where there were fewer vacancies at any point in the last 20 years due to the pandemic. No one was recruiting, or very few. Just briefly, so, so we've got that 1.143 uh, million vacancies. What, what typically would it have been over uh, a, a few, to look back over the last 10 or 20 years? Yeah, you'd be looking at a number between about 500,000 and 650,000 would, would cover a pretty good spread of the past 20 years. And there's not been that, obviously, the pandemic created that huge volatility, big gap down, huge backup, way, way beyond where it's ever been in the, in the past. Um, so, yeah, so that, that puts it into context, which is, which is a great point, Will. Uh -huh. So, you know, companies are not stupid. They, they might be distracted by some of the things that are going on at the moment, but minimum wage is up 
6.6% in less than one month's time. That in itself is inflationary. Yes, it may force some to shed a few jobs um, if they have if they can't successfully pass some of these price rises on to consumers. Um, price rises are never 100% passed on to the consumer in a functioning market. Margins get squeezed as a result, certainly percentage margin anyway. So higher energy prices mean higher food prices from both of those angles. The energy bill of the retail outlet selling the food, the fuel cost of transportation. And these could add maybe 150 to 200 basis points to inflation. So one and a half to 2%. This is why I feel that 10% is now odds on to be published as an inflation number this year at some point, within a few months, realistically, unless we get what will now be a surprise stop to the conflict in Ukraine. I should add that uh, Adam is offering a 50p bet, uh, capped at 50p, uh, for, for anyone that it will go over 10%, basically. Absolutely. So, back to the micro level. What does all that mean for us as investors? Our own cost of living, of course, hit on all levels. Once again, back to the spirit of the who can lose the least question. Flights going up at a rate of knots as kerosene costs soar. But staycation, again, I mean, some didn't fancy a plane this year anyway, right? The global COVID situation is quite different to the UK situation after all. But expect the higher running costs of those service accommodation units to filter through, at least in those that are run professionally. And really, that's one of the seminal points. If you're an operator of furnished holiday lets or service accommodation, have you tweaked your pricing to reflect higher bills coming down the pipe this year? Have you looked at solar PV systems or other green systems to invest some money in order to get a payback? Because the payback metrics on solar photovoltaic have changed dramatically in the past several months because of what's happened to the energy price. You can also increase your EPC at the same time by doing this, of course, which has further implications, which I'll go into another day. What about HMO? The increase in bills is just inevitable with rises of 50% or more especially if you're coming off the back of a cheap tariff onto a naturally more expensive variable one and you're struggling to fix. I've heard some clever solutions through our partners in property community, as I would expect. A real drive to save energy with renewed vigour, incentivising tenants. The difficulty around maintaining a fair use clause in your contracts for HMO tenants and owners rears back to the front of mind here with a larger incentive to try and get this right for the asset owner. Once again, solar PV and other green solutions need re-examining. And let's not forget single legs. No one is safe, of course. If your tenant has a fixed income and relies on LHA, there's that double bubble problem in the pipe there. Come the 1st of April, minimum wage is up significantly. As I've already said, housing benefit isn't up at all. Other benefits are set to increase by 3.1%. Pension and universal credit, I'm primarily referring to there. That's less than half of the increase that's being allocated to the minimum wage. It's a little bit under the average wage rise this year at the moment, 
and as discussed, it's well under the rate of inflation. So on top of that, your voids will cost more money. Standing charges doubling or more, 51% increase in the price cap from the 1st of April. Affordability is down. And for new tenancies, we are looking at a bit of extra room in that affordability calculation, keeping affordability down to more like 25% than the nationwide 33% that is accepted. The average ex-London tenancy, as in outside of London, is at 29%, but percentages hide certain things. There is ultimately a collar to the cost of living, and the lower the income, the more you will feel it. And I think it's um, it's interesting to note, like, uh, there's a perception that the LHA uh, is, is for unemployed people. Unemployment is is uh, well below 5%, and, and yet 17% of households are reliant on LHA payments to, to pay the rent. You, you're totally right, Will. And there's a, a big political football that's kicked. I mean, you know, this point... To try to make this point, unemployment is 4.1. So more than 75% of people on LHA are, are not seeking work, are not in the job market. So not quite as simple as it's four times as many people because a lot of those are not in the figures. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're not in the market for a job for one reason or another. The, the 17% is a household number as opposed to individuals. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. So, but it's a very good point. And the working, the working poor, as the the Labour Party likes to refer to, are badly underrepresented. I think a lot of people just don't quite realise the reality, especially some asset owners who might be a couple of steps removed from their tenants. Um, you know, if you if you do your own referencing and you look through bank statements of prospects, for example that would give you a pretty good reality check. If you go out on the road and have a look at a few properties in your portfolio, especially if they're in a not so salubrious area, that's another way to give yourself a reality check. I get these reality checks occasionally, so I really get the feeling of what's going on in the, on the ground. Um, it's, it's very interesting. So potential problems are going to include rent arrears and the inability to raise rents to reflect far higher costs of maintenance, and compliance. We could also see some of what we saw in the pandemic, which is what we economists call the substitution effect. More people moving back in with their parents, not leaving home as early, or having to save more money for their first property. And of course, at the market level, first time buyers therefore getting yet older. This affected HMO more significantly than anything. But also during the pandemic, there was an incentive and a drive to get much more space and actually break the household up. This trend could reverse. And with fewer household starts or new household creations, the demand and need for new built property could subside somewhat. Now, I'd say that's the glass about nine tenths empty. The realistic worst case scenario is that that effect is nowhere near enough to temper the overall attractiveness of the UK as an immigration destination and the housing shortage is so deep and we are so many millions behind that this is a ripple of an impact worth a few basis points on housing market capital growth. So don't worry too much, but there's fragility to some models. The more exposure you have to the bills directly, the worse, but HMO could also become more attractive because the bills included model 
makes that gap between a one bed flat and an HMO room so much bigger. And so purely on affordability, HMO becomes a lot more attractive than the self-contained unit. Now we're omitting one major stakeholder from the above, of course, social housing, housing associations, RPs, those providing support services and paying bills will have their business models put under pressure. The demands on the local authority to increase enhanced rates will be significant, but the money won't necessarily be there to do so. Or council tax will be, bills will be up another 5% or more in 2023, as the new bills start to bite anyway from the beginning of next month. So on balance, in conclusion, this sort of environment is not ideal for any asset class. And this comes back to some of the stuff we've talked about over the previous weeks, Will, around what happens after a pandemic. You know, real asset returns are quite often negative for a period of decades. And that's the challenge. And that is already now starting to play out. But actually, this suits a hard asset like property very well. You need to be reviewing your financial arrangements, even considering breaking existing mortgages and swallowing the early repayment charges, because liquidity will be everything at some point in the next few years. There's a few hairs running, which could lead to panic. Now, note I use the word panic, not the word crash. Panic brings serious opportunity. The beauty of being in a market where you provide a staple good is that you're always needed and that your role in the market has a significant value. If you sell luxury goods and there's a recession, or worse than all, your brand falls out of fashion, as happens all the time, your business is in trouble and could easily be over. If you sell housing on a rental basis, the last couple of recessions haven't been too unkind. Keep on your toes, review your assets, consider high gearing if you can deploy the money safely and stay liquid. I appreciate it's a really hard time to sit with significant funds in the bank because of the inflationary effect on those funds. But stick with it. The rewards are there. And despite the continual slings and arrows, the decades prospects still look bright for UK residential property. And that's us until next week, Will. Well, well that's fantastic. I'm just going to repeat that, uh, that quote from Tyler Cohen that you started with. Economics is everywhere. And understanding economics can help you make better decisions and lead a happier life. So Adam Lawrence, uh, a pleasure. If you'd like to get in touch with Adam, uh, you can contact him on LinkedIn. Um, Adam Lawrence, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading, or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining, and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to, and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share, and comment, so please do on social media, and if you have questions, ideas for topics, or deals you would like to explore, 
We're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.